to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive you as you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. Scripture today is from Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I tend them in a good pasture, and the mountains heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep, and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. A reading from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the first chapter. Listen now for God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Fourteen years ago, I enjoyed the privilege of preaching on the day that Ryan was ordained to ministry of word and sacrament. Hard to believe that it's been that long. At least one of us was much younger. <laughs> Laura, we know it's you who was much younger. It is wonderful to be with you on this great morning in the life of Roswell Presbyterian Church. My aim is to bring to you, Ryan, a word of hope and also to bring a word of hope to your congregation. In large measure, this sermon is a prayer. It's not a new prayer, but an ancient one anchored in a 2,000-year-old hope, a hope expressed uh, moments ago in Paul's letter. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your hearts enlightened, the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I pray that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may come to know the hope to which he's called you. Paul locates uh, hope within this framework of both wisdom and revelation. Wisdom is a kind of survival skill. Wise people enjoy emotional maturity. They are responsive rather than reactive. They are practical, result-oriented. The wise know how to get things done because they work well with others. We hope that our pastors are wise people. We especially hope that the associate pastors are wise people because we all know, don't we, they get everything done. Revelation, on the other side of that equation, is more ethereal. Faith-seeking understanding is the classic expression. The word revelation means to unveil or uncover. Consider people who ponder things deeply, those who read voraciously, those who love a good mystery, whether a great whodunit or thick books on microbiology or particle physics, we associate revelation with innovation, with imagination, with the poetic. And Paul combines these two 
wisdom and revelation in one work, a work of God opening the eyes of our hearts. And by that, he means our behavior. That when the eyes of our hearts are opened, we behave differently. We're changed human beings. And we are changed by the hope of Christ's resurrection. And that's a hope that we're not born with. We are not naturally geared that way. Now, it's true enough that some people seem to be born optimistic. One of my dear friends now in the kingdom of heaven, someone Ryan knew well, once said that if he got a stocking full of road apples on, Christian mor on Christmas morning, he would be the first to ask Santa, where's the pony? <laughs> now, some of you may not know what road apples are. I'll get Ryan to explain it to you. <laughs> where's the pony? We all know people like that. We're lucky to have them in our lives. And Ryan, you suspect who I'm talking about, who's no longer with us. We spend an evening on his back porch around a patio table, and I won't tell the rest because Laura would be embarrassed a little bit. There's nothing wrong with optimism, is there? We'd like to be around people who are optimistic but Paul has something in mind that's more durable than optimism, something that's grounded beyond us, that's more enduring, unconquerable, which Paul calls a gift, a gift that he will alternately name riches, inheritance, immeasurable power, a gift given when God raised Christ from the dead and seated Christ at the right hand of God. All lofty language in order to impress upon the people of God, to impress upon all of us that Christ has been placed above all authority on earth, above every ruler on earth far above all power and dominion. So what an astonishing gift. What an outstanding claim. Some would even say it's absurd. Christ rules all things, really? From where you're seated, does it look like Christ rules all things? Consider the hot mess the world's in. Calvin, the great champion of God's providence and sovereignty, Calvin recognized the hot mess the world is. 500 years ago, writing his commentary on Ephesians, Paul, uh, Calvin makes this clear-headed observation. We still live under the power of death. We struggle under the bondage of sin, surrounded by endless miseries. We fight hard warfare. We lie here despised and lowly. We are oppressed here by the scantiness of all our gifts. Okay, so that's Calvin 500 years ago. We've made a lot of progress since then, especially here in the last 250 years, right? Things are better than Calvin's day.
So what do you see when you look around? What shape is the world in? I imagine we all have our top ten list, ten big things we worry about in short order. Let me ask you if any of these register on your list. How about a land war in Europe between Ukraine and Russia? 500,000 casualties in two years with the always present threat of Putin's nuclear exchange. Does that make your list? How about 7 million COVID deaths, including over 1 million in the U.S.? Or 100,000 drug overdoses, more deaths annually in the United States than murders and car wrecks combined. 100,000. A new Middle East war, which at any moment could spire regionally. Or how about immigration? Border security or insecurity? The plight of refugees and what to do? One word, China. How about climate change? Political polarization, distrust, dysfunction. How about artificial intelligence or social media and the effects and impacts on our kids, on all of us? Or how about the de-churching of America? New word has entered our vocabulary, de-churching. In the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have left the church. 40 million people in 25 years. It's the greatest exodus in the last 100 years. Members of Every stripe, mainline Protestant churches, Catholic, Southern Baptist, Evangelical, that's 15% of the U.S. population in 25 years. What happens when the children of the de-churched begin having babies? We used to say when they have babies, they'll bring them back. That's not happening. What would you put on your top 10 list? I suppose everyone seated here this morning could easily add our own items, friends with illness, family members with money problems, marriage problems, personal relationships gone awry. So what is it that we mean exactly by having the eyes of our hearts opened by the hope of Christ's resurrection? To live with eyes opened by that gift. Shortly after the end of World War II, a young German POW was given a Bible by a Scottish army chaplain, and that young POW said he would have preferred cigarettes, but he instead got a Bible. <laughs> he began to read the Psalms especially, but he returned again and again to the Gospel of Mark, 
where he read again and again Jesus crying from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt growing within him an undeniable, unassailable conviction. This is someone who connects with my deepest, the person who understands me completely and is with me in my cry to God and has felt the same forsakenness that I now feel. Twenty-five years later, that young German POW, then a promising theologian, published his dissertation. The English translation appeared in 1967 under the title Theology of Hope. That young German theologian was Jürgen Moltmann in his 2009 autobiography. Moltmann, who is now 97, recalled his days in Scotland where, in his words, I summoned up the courage to live again. And I was slowly but surely seized by a great hope for the resurrection into God's wide, into God's wide space. Mormon said that while he never made a, a decision for Christ once and for all, he again and again throughout his life decided for Christ when situations were serious. I am certain, he writes, that then in 1945 and there in that Scottish prisoner of war camp, in the dark pit of my soul, Jesus sought and found me. Jesus sought and found me. The quest was for the incarnate Word to find that young POW. Not the POW's search to find God, but God's searching for His own. Christian hope is not magic. Hope is discovered again and again in every age because God does not give up on the human race. God pursues. God pursues humanity. God pursues through our brother Christ who connects with us in the deepest parts of our dark souls. And sometimes in that part of our soul that we think is all light and bright, but it's just hidden. Okay, so trouble finds us. We don't have to go looking for it to meet Christ. Our times are no different, really, than any other time. Yeah, they're different in kind from post-World War II. They're different in kind from the age of the apostle, different in kind from John Calvin's, but no different in that you and I 
you and I must decide again and again for Christ who seeks the lost, who desires to enlighten our hearts with wisdom and revelation, with a hope that far exceeds whistling in the dark. Hope which is the power of God. 600 years before the birth of Christ, the Jewish prophet Ezekiel, prophet of the Babylonian exile, envisioned way ahead of time a power such as that. Amazing story. God himself, the prophet proclaimed, would accomplish what Israel's leaders could not and did not and were not able to accomplish. I myself, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, God says. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. The word pastor comes from a Latin noun meaning to shepherd and from a verb meaning to lead to pasture, set to grazing, calls to eat. Ryan has been called to shepherd you to pasture. Our Presbyterian Constitution plainly states that pastors are to pay special attention to the poor, the sick, the troubled, and the dying. Likewise, our Constitution understands that Ryan has not appointed himself to this task. Don't let him think otherwise. Nor is he simply an employee, nor is your pastor or any of your other pastors. They are called through this amazing process, as we will learn and say in a few moments, through the voice of God's people, God has called these shepherds. Called to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ, as we will affirm in moments. The way of Jesus Christ is the way of hope. Hope for the lost, the strayed, the injured, the weak, as well as feeding the fat and strong with justice. Being Presbyterians, we believe that this responsibility is not the calling of your clergy alone. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, everyone in this room. We are all called to the way of Jesus, which is the way of hope for the lost, the strayed, the injured, and the weak. There are two impediments to this radical world-changing hope. Two impediments. One is, one is a kind of despair that Ah, we, we can't possibly live up to that. Who can do that? Oh, I'm, I'm just too weak. I'm too, uh, well, I'm kind of timid. Oh, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm weary. 
I can't live up to that great calling. The second is a different kind of despair that believes that you and I can plan, organize, or orchestrate our way to the kingdom of God. We begin substituting our possibilities for God's promises. On the one hand, our dreams are too small, too pedestrian, too quiet. On the other, they are too noisy, too self-satisfied, idolatrous. Despair of either kind is really rather, rather easy. Doesn't demand anything of faith, hope, and love. Demands nothing of patient endurance. Fighting a good fight, taking up our pallet and walking, as Jesus invites us to do. Hope anticipates the future. Hope locates us as pilgrims, explorers, or to use New Testament language, we are strangers and exiles, never quite at home in this world but never too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good, as the old saying goes, far from it. Hope locates us squarely in the world, side by side with the lost, the weak, the sick, the injured. So how might we imagine this, this kind of hope? I'd like to leave you with two short examples, two glimpses of hope. Recently, I had the good pleasure of traveling to the coast of North Carolina and spent a weekend with a cousin. We had not spent much time together since we were children. We saw one another briefly when his older brother died tragically, and times later when I helped with funerals for his parents. Otherwise, we were separated by work and geography. Now that we're both retired, I suppose, we decided it was time to get reacquainted. And so after 50 years, we spent a weekend together on the intercoastal waterway where he now lives. We trolled offshore for kings and Spanish mackerel without success, but we enjoyed a beautiful Carolina blue sky despite three to five foot seas. So it was kind of choppy, but... great nonetheless, roasted a bushel of oysters, three of us did, open fire. Mostly we talked, we called up, our wives were both away. Late one evening, our conversation turned to our parents, especially our mothers. They both trained prior to World War II as nurses. My mother remained in the States while his mother landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day plus six. She would become the head nurse at an Army field hospital, and as it turned out, the young doctor who was the commanding officer of that hospital would become my cousin's father. My cousin said he once asked his mother about the war. He wondered about the hardest part. She was a 25-year-old farm girl from southwestern Virginia, and many of her fellow nurses were more senior. They were much 
more experienced. She was appointed their boss. And you had to know my aunt Myrtle to appreciate this about her. But she said that, that, was, that was not the hard part. They soon learned, she said. The hard part, she said, was treating the burn victims, the 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who were alive but awaiting death. She said that was the hardest part. There was so little she could do, so she just listened. Most told stories about girlfriends or the, their fiancé back home, or they had messages for their moms. Please tell mom I love her. So my aunt held their hand and listened. She heard the lost, the strayed, the injured. And her listening was testimony to the Good Shepherd, testimony to the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow. I've got six grandkids. The 11-year-old goes to an elementary school where dear Laura taught when she was just a wee young woman. It's in our neighborhood. I've been picking up grandchildren there for the last six or so years. There's lots of grandparents that stand in line. Any of you do that, picking up grandchildren at the end of the day? Lots of grandparents stand in that line waiting for their grandkids. There are some young parents, two kids, really, many of them, but lots of grandparents. The school even has a grandparents' day. So one mid-morning, I'm there to pick up my grandson to take him to the dentist, and the person working at the office desk strikes up a conversation, observing that she'd seen me before. I recognized her as well, but we did not know one another by name. She smiled broadly and said something about how much she loved working in that elementary school, being around the children in that school. And I said, yeah, I like being involved with my grandkids. And she says, it's an investment, isn't it? They're work, but it's good work. They're an investment. Soon enough, my grandson appears and off we go. Hope is an investment. Like raising children or a grandchild, hope anticipates. I may see something of what my grandson becomes. I may live long enough to see him marry and have children even. But I will never live to see the rest of his life story. His life, his works, his legacy, his adventures. Nor will your pastor's your associate pastors, nor will most of us live to see the legacy of this great church. It's an investment what we do in the work of God's mighty hope. Ryan, God will give you hope as you invest in the project of God's kingdom. Good people of Roswell Presbyterian Church, God will give you hope as you seek the lost and bring back the strayed as you testify to God's justice. 
God will give you this hope because God has put all things under Christ's feet for the church. God has made Christ head over all things. To God be the glory and honor and blessing, both now and always. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.